right. Well, I got some more smiles. That was good. <clears throat> How many of you know that the, the speaker uh, oftentimes will feed off the audience? How many know that's true? You know? And so, I mean, and I'm serious. Uh, I know it's early morning, and I know that you probably didn't get enough sleep last night. I know I didn't. But again, life's a choice, isn't it? You know, when the crush comes and you haven't chosen to rejoice in the Lord, what are you going to do? I'm asking you. If you haven't decided right now, before it happens, when the crush comes, what are you going to do? I know what Sue's going to do. He's going to run towards the fire. How many would say amen? I think you're that way. Now, down at Pleasant Hill, in the building down there, is I've made in my mind a commitment that there's only one way into that building, and it's right through those back doors, and there is a shooting, shooting lane, and I'm right in the shooting lane, okay? So here's the cool thing. We have a couple folks that are ready with their own shooting lanes, and I'm going to charge off of the pulpit right down, screaming and yelling. Of course, you want to take the leader out, right? Of course, those guys, they just, woo! Okay, well, they won't get only but one or two rounds off because they're going to be gone. Because others are there. Got your back, right? So we have to choose to smile. We have to choose to rejoice. Now, we got a firebrand coming up this morning. I really love this guy. Uh, little does he know I've been watching him. Okay? And, and I tell you, here's why I asked him to preach at Oregon Family Camp. I've been listening to him. He does a great job. But... Uh, and I know I'm not asphyxiated on shooting guns, but I asked, uh, asked him to go shooting when I was up at uh, uh, the Badlands camp. Thank you for having a great, massive, thousand, bazillion, thousand acre shooting range. Anyway, so we went out, and you know, when you walk with a man, usually when you talk with a guy face to face, it's not as good as walking with them in the same direction. You know, when you walk with someone and you talk with someone, you really get to know them. Because the, the, for guys, it seems like, gals face to face, right? Sorry. I get away with that sometimes. Sometimes not. But isn't it true a lot of times? See, the guys are all silent. They're not even bouncing. <laughs> but you know, when you walk with a man side by side and you're talking about things and, and he didn't know that I was just kind of checking this guy out and asking him some questions about where he's headed and what he's going to be doing and stuff like that. And we're just chilling and you get to know somebody that way. And so I want this guy to preach. I want this young man to preach. And uh, really thankful for Josiah. It's not Jeremiah. Don't ever forget that, <laughs> Josiah. It's, it's Josiah. Anyway. So anyway, I'm so thankful for you. I appreciate the man that you are and the man that you're becoming. And I really meant what I said. I know that uh, the church is in good hands with young men like yourself, yourself included, in raising up and continuing to build the kingdom of God. So let's give it up for Josiah Sutton. I'm going to hug you today. Good. All right, good morning, everybody. Good morning. It is a great day to be in the Lord. Amen. I'm really excited to be here, and I'm really thankful for all of you guys who showed up. It really means a lot to me. I'm really encouraged by being here with the church in Oregon and everybody who came for family camp 
it's really encouraging just to see all of you guys and to be encouraged each by each, each by each other's faith, both yours and mine. It's really encouraging to me, and I hope that as we continue, that that that, that continues as well. So this morning we're going to be talking about about fear, as as the family camp says, and. Fear, it, it, comes, it comes in all shapes and sizes here. But fear, as I'm referring to it today, is what arises with the threat of harm. Either, either emotional or physical, real or imagined. It even, it even comes with its own acronym. Fear, F-E-A-R. Forget everything and run. Yeah. That, is, that is fear. So people, they, they fear all kinds of things. I looked up some of the most common fears. I put them down on my notebook here. I'm going to list them off for you. Some of the most common ones. <clears throat> Arachnophobia. The extreme fear of spiders and other arachnids, like scorpions. Claustrophobia. The extreme fear of tight, enclosed, or confined spaces. Aphidiophobia. The extreme fear of snakes. Astrophobia. It's the extreme fear of thunder and lightning. Xenophobia is the extreme fear of dogs. Then, of course, there's the, there's the really common ones you hear all the time, like the fear of the dark, fear of needles, fear of blood, fear of, fear of heights. There are all these different kinds of fears, which some have, that to others just seem irrational. Like, for me, for me, it's, it's roosters. Now, <laughs> now I'm, not, I'm not scared of roosters, per se, but they do make me a little nervous. Not, not because of their size but because of their relentlessness. And you know what I'm talking about if you've ever been around a rooster. Uh, let me just tell you, one of, these, one of these days I was driving up to a, to a place with free-range chickens. And of course, along with free-range chickens comes free-range roosters. So I was pulling off, I parked my car, hopped out, and I made eye contact with one of these roosters. And I knew at that moment that I was doomed. So I, I got back into my car to grab something to whack him with because he started running towards me. I was going to grab my snow scraper, because every, every good Montana has a snow scraper, and I was going to give him a good whack, but I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get it in time, because he was approaching me too quick. So all I could have, all I could get was my sweatshirt. So I grabbed my sweatshirt, and he jumped up into the air getting ready to get me. I took my sweatshirt, and I brought it down on top of him. So it grabbed him and brought him down to the ground. I mean, his head slammed on the ground. So I, I was like, this guy's, this guy's going to stop. But he didn't. He kept going. I'm telling you, I was probably there for five minutes, <laughs> slamming this rooster down. <laughs> Relentless. These guys don't give up. And eventually I was like, he's not going to give up. So I hopped in my car, shut the door, and he was waiting out there for me. And I was just like, man, I'm really stuck in my car because of a chicken. <laughs> eventually he left, and I went ahead and did my thing. It also reminds me of another story um, about my, my sister, Abby. Um, one, one nice summer day, I was outside, and I, all of a sudden I heard screaming from our chicken coop. So I ran over there to figure out what was going on, and Abby was in there trying to collect some eggs, and a rooster had challenged her. So she was backed up in a corner, and we were taught that when, when a rooster is attacking you, to kick him. Because if you kick him, he'll, he'll fly back and you'll have time to run away. But she didn't really want to kick him. So she was kind of just like pushing him with her foot. 
So he would run forward, and she would just push him back just a, a couple feet. He would run forward, push back, and these guys are relentless, right? So I saw this, and I was like, this is going to be an endless cycle. They're just going to be running and pushing the whole day. Now, I would give my life for my sisters, but I didn't have any shoes on. I was not going to step in chicken poop for my sisters. So I ran over to the to the basketball hoop, I grabbed the basketball, and I came back and I chucked it at the rooster, and I, and I, I hit it so she was able to get out. And see, I, I'm convinced that if, that if I wasn't there that day, that she would still be here to this day, <laughs> kicking that, just tapping that rooster, pushing him back just a little bit. Now, I know these are just a, a bunch of little funny stories, but it kind of gives you the concept, because all of these fears, all these different fears, they have the same, they have the same outcome here. They have something in common. Once they're triggered, you don't move forward. You're stuck. Right. Let, me, let me explain these other fears that I mentioned earlier, like, like arachnophobia. If you're trying to get somewhere and there's a spider in your, in your way and you're scared of spiders, you're not going to get to the goal. Claustrophobia, if you're trying to get somewhere and in the way is a tighter enclosed space, you're not going to get there because you're scared of it. Ophidiophobia, if a snake's in the way, you're not going to get there. If a dog's in the way, you're not going to get there. If dark is in the way, if height is in the way, you guys get the concept here. We're not going to be talking about these kind of fears today, but we are going to be talking about that concept. We're going to be talking about the fear of man. Now, it's super easy because of the freedom that we have today to be able to say, like, the fear of man? You know, why bring this up? Why, why are we even talking about this? I don't, I don't fear man. But I want to I say, if we're, I want to I say this because of preparation, to get you guys ready. Because if we're faced with fear of man the way we are now, in the midst of small opposition, while we have freedom, it may be really easy to think that well, I don't need to be any readier than I already am. You know, it's a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. You know, it's just, I don't need to be any more ready than I am. The fear of man is going to come upon you like a robber if you're not ready. I want us to be readily prepared so that when it does come, big opposition in the midst of, in, in the absence of freedom, we're ready. I want, to, I want to give you a couple more stories just to maybe, maybe help you understand a little bit more. I used, to be, I used to be a supervisor at the Bozeman Hot Springs in, in Bozeman, Montana. It's just a family-friendly facility that they pull hot spring water into pools that they make. And being the supervisor, people would come to me with their problems. And so one day, it was, it was in the midst of when COVID was getting like super serious, when everyone was kind of confused, didn't really know what was going on. But they knew it was bad. <coughs> and the outside pools, there was this one kid that was that was make, that was saying, you know, I have COVID, and I was able to skip school because of COVID. It was, he was bragging. It was it was cool to have COVID at the beginning. And an adult from a different pool had overheard that, so he came up to one of my employees who was outside and said, "You got to kick this kid out. You know, he's got he's got COVID. You got to get him out." And the employee said, you know, 
this is, this is in the midst of, we're, we're still kind of confused, we don't really know what's going on. So we're not going to be kicking people out because they're sick. So the employee said, I don't think I'm going to do that. Like, sorry, man, I, I can't kick him out because he's got COVID just off of your word. And he was not happy about that. So he started swearing at her, started yelling at her, calling her names. She eventually just left and went to the front desk and talked to me about that. I went and tried to find him, couldn't find him. So we were just at the front desk and eventually he came back to the front desk and he started at it again. Started swearing at her, started yelling at her, calling her names, telling her how terrible she was. So I stepped in between and I said, listen man, we got to talk, what's going on? So after a little bit of listening to try and understand, I said, okay, I understand where you're coming from, but we got to stop swearing, we got to stop yelling, so we can have a rational conversation. And that set him off. He wasn't ready to hear that. So he continued, and he, he was calling her names that I, that I can't even say, but he was saying, the, the final touch was, he was saying, you got to do something about this terrible employee. She's the worst, doesn't know how to do her job. Of course, with a ton of other words. And I looked over at her, and a tear was going down her cheek. And now, I yell a lot out of excitement, but never out of, out of anger or frustration. But I did then. And I said, that's it. Get out. And it shocked him. You know, he's a little taken back. So to speed up the process, I started walking, walking towards him. And he started walking backwards. And you know when, when you're walking forwards and they're walking backwards, that you're winning. So, so I was trying to push him out just by walking, walking towards him. And he was walking back out towards the door, but along with that, he still was trash talking, still swearing at me. But I just didn't say a word. I just was walking towards him, pushing him back. And he said, yeah, kid, go ahead, puff out your chest. So I did. Puffed out my chest. <laughs> and I kept walking towards him. And eventually I got him out and, and, uh, I remember going home that night, and I was like, man, Josiah, <laughs> like, you got this, man. Like, these dudes don't stand a chance against you. I can take on the world. I was so excited. But you got to think about it. Keep in mind, this guy, he was probably about just as big as me. Maybe just a little bigger, but not much. Now, there's another story that maybe puts this into a really good perspective. So taking that, putting that in your head, envisioning that I felt that way, another day not too long after that, there was a situation, I'm still a supervisor at this hot springs, and there was a situation where a woman had thought that a, a couple of teenagers had got a compromising picture from the locker room, which that is concerning. So she brought those teenagers up to the front desk and we separated them because they, were, they weren't agreeing, they were very upset with one another. And we were talking to the girls, and they gave one of my female coworkers the permission to look through their phone to make sure that they didn't have it, because they were claiming they didn't do anything. So she looked through all the pictures, and there was nothing in there. So we didn't have any grounds of accusation with which to boot them out. There was no reason. So we said that they can, they can go back in. But the, the older lady, she wasn't very happy about that. She was convinced that they did have that. So she talked to her husband about it. I didn't know her husband was there. So I was at the front desk, and that female coworker came up to me and said, Josiah, we got a problem. You got to come out here and help us. So I started walking out there into the inside pool room. You know, I'm, you know I remember last time. You know, 
I, I'm ready for this. So I'm walking through, and I look down down the, the way, and I see this guy. He's huge. He's probably like, I don't know, 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, he's built. He's, he's tatted up. He's bald. This guy looked like a punk, like from a game. And he's fast walking towards me. And, you know, I'm not going to back down, but let me tell you, my chest was not puffed out. <laughs> so I was walking towards this guy, and once we, once we met, he put his finger in my chest, and he said, you got to do something about this. If you don't do something about this right now, I'm going to flip this place upside down. And I don't want to know what that meant. So, um, but you got to keep in mind, this is an inside pool room, so it's really, really echoey. If you're not trying to make noise, people still hear you. And then when you're trying to make noise, people really hear you. It was a busy night, but not one person in that room, in that pool room, was talking. They were all looking at us. And I was so scared. I was so nervous. I said, sir, what do you want me to do? And he said, you got to do something. Sir, what do you want me to do? You got to do something. What do you want me to do? He said, you got to look through a phone. Make sure there's nothing in there. And I said, sir, we already did that. And he goes, oh, <laughs> then we're fine. <laughs> the weight that lifted off my shoulders. I'm telling you guys, I felt like I was ascending. <laughs> oh, man, I thought I was going to die that night. But you guys get the idea here. It's easy to say that I don't fear man and puff your chest out when you're faced with the smaller guy. But what about when you're faced with the bigger guy? Are you, are you prepared for the bigger guy? Have, have you let your guard down because of the littler guy? I want you to keep all this in mind as we turn over to Proverbs 29. Proverbs 29. We're going to take a look at verse 25. It says, The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. The fear of man brings what? A snare. What is a snare? What does that mean? Well, the dictionary definition of a snare, I looked it up, it was to... to a device that serves to entrap or entangle the unaware. So what do you guys think about when you, when you think of a snare? Personally, I think about, about animal traps because with, with our uh, chicken coop, we had a problem where skunks would come over to the chicken wire fence, lure the chickens over, and when they got close enough, the skunks would grab the chickens and have their snack. We'd have a bunch of dead chickens in the morning. So we set out animal traps to get these guys. And you know we often set it in the morning they come home later in the day, and there'd be a skunk in there, and we, you know, we'd be good. But coming home, I was just thinking, man, you know, that skunk has probably been trapped in there for hours upon hours, and this cage is just as big as the skunk, not any bigger. So just imagine being being in there, not even able to like turn around, able to move hardly at all. It's like it must be terrible. I think, I think of animal traps when I think of snare. You, you think about it. They were stuck in these cages, not able to do anything. They were hindered. This is what the fear of man does to us. It keeps us stuck. 
not able to move forward. It's a barricade that prevents further progression. Fear of man acting as a snare with the Christian is the same thing as the animal trap. We are able to grow a lot in Christ, we are, but if that, if that barricade of fear of man is still there, whether that's just fear of their intimidation or fear of their approval, we hit a wall. And this wall, it, it, it prohibits us from moving. And that greatly limits our ability, at the end of Matthew, to go. How are we going to go with a snare? How are we going to go with a barricade? How are we going to run the race set before us with a rope around our ankle? How is that going to work? In that, same, in that same passage about running the race, it says to lay aside every encumbrance. Encumbrance is a weight. It's burdensome. It's useless. And fear of man is one of those weights that we need to lay aside. And we've got to lay it aside now. Not only do we need to overcome it for our own sake, but I want you guys to consider this. Turn to Deuteronomy 20. Deuteronomy 20. We'll start with verse 1. It says, When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt is with you. When you're approaching the battle, the priest shall come near and speak to the people. He shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, you are approaching the battle against your enemies today. Do not be faint-hearted. Do not be afraid or panic or tremble before them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes before you, who goes with you, to fight for you against your enemies, to save you. The officers also shall speak to the people, saying, Who is the man who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him depart and return to his house. Otherwise he might die in the battle, and another man would dedicate it. Who is the man that has planted a vineyard and has not begun to use its fruit? Let him depart and return to his house. Otherwise he might die in battle, and another man would begin to use its fruit. And who is the man who is engaged to a woman and has not married her? Let him depart and return to his house. Otherwise he might die in the battle, and another man would marry her. And this is the next verse is the one I want to focus on. Then the officers shall speak further to the people and say, Who is the man who is afraid and faint-hearted? Let him depart and return to his house, so that he might not make his brother's heart melt like his heart. Amen. I want you guys to consider that. There was, a, there was a, something I heard the other day. Um, a guy was pretty upset about this is a situation going on with, with combat roles. Now, the reason he was upset with that was because there was a standard for combat roles. And it was a high standard. Because, because it's a combat role. You've got to be physically fit enough to do that. The situation was, because that standard was so high, a lot of people weren't able to make it. A lot of men weren't able to make it, but even more women weren't able to make it. Because it's a really high physical demand. So, in the name of inclusiveness, they decided to lower that standard. So that people could make it in. Now, the, the problem he had with that was that when these people with the lower standard came in, their death rate and their injury rate skyrocketed. And not only was he upset about that part, the part he was most upset about 
was those people who came in at a lower standard endangered their squad mates even more. Their squad mates' death rate and their squad mates' injury rate skyrocketed. There's something wrong about that. I mean, think about it. If you're, if you're going into battle alongside somebody and they're afraid of the people that they're, they're about to fight and they say, you know, man, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to make it. I don't know if we're going to win. I think we're going to lose. What's that going to do to you? It's going to melt your heart. What's that going to do to your fighting spirit? So we see here that in verse 8 that anyone who was afraid or faint-hearted was to leave. Why? So that he doesn't make his brother's heart melt like his own heart. See, I need to overcome the fear of man for my own sake, yes. But I need to overcome it for you guys too. For my brothers and sisters, I don't want to make your guys' heart melt. So let me tell you this, overcoming the fear of man is so abundantly crucial in the Christian walk and so necessary for both of those reasons. Because fear of man that's orchestrated by the father father of lies, it, it's orchestrated by him, the father of lies, the deceiver himself. And we need to be ready for that. So let's prepare today. Let's get taken care of now. Remember our definition about a snare? It's a, a device to entrap or, or entangle the unaware. Well, guys, let's be the aware. Let's be ready. So it's no surprise, and we're ready for that when it comes. If fear of man affects us in the way it does now, while we still have freedom, imagine what it will be like when we don't have any freedom at all. That is, if we're unaware and unprepared. So let's do it. But before I start, I want to make one thing abundantly clear. Let's go ahead and go to Deuteronomy 1. Deuteronomy 1. And we're going to be starting in verse 41. But for context here, God was going to give Israel this land, right? But they had to go take it. But they were a little scared, so they sent spies. Spies came back and said, place is great, but the people who are there are big and strong. So all of them are like, mm, I don't know. Let's, let's back off. All of them except Caleb and Joshua. So the Lord, he was not, he was not very happy with these guys, all these guys. He said, nobody's going to enter this land. Nobody... No, not one person except Caleb and Joshua. So they, the people who were afraid before, they weren't very happy about that. So they had, a, they had a change of heart, right? That's where we pick off here in verse 41. It says, Then you said to me, We have sinned against the Lord. We'll, we will indeed go up and fight. This is the Lord our God commanded us. And every one of you girded on his weapons of war and regarded it as easy to go up in the hill country. But the Lord said to me, say to them, do not go up or fight, for I am not among you. Otherwise, you will be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, but you would not listen. Instead, you rebelled against the command of the Lord and acted presumptuously and went into the hill country. The Amorites who lived in that hill country came out against you and chased you as bees and crushed you from seer to worm. Then you returned and wept before the Lord. But the Lord did not listen to your voice nor give ear to you. So you remained in Kadesh many days. The days that you spent there. The thing I want to make abundantly clear here before we start 
is that you cannot win without the Lord. The congregation in Bozeman has a motto for every new year. 2021 was getting the Lord's work done in 2021. 2022's was follow through in 2022. 2023's is victory in 2023. But here's the deal. You're not going to have victory in 2023 apart from the Lord. It's not going to happen. The only way we're going to do it is if the Lord's with us. So as we talk about overcoming the fear of man, I need you guys to understand that apart from the Lord, it's not going to happen. His spirit must be indwelling for that to be possible, for the fear of man to be overcome, and for victory to be achieved. So let's do this together, both with the Lord and with each other. Let's figure out how to overcome the fear of man. But first, let me give you a scenario. I want you to put yourself here. You're, you're in a jail cell, and you've been in there for for a couple weeks. And the guy, a guy walks in, he unlocks the door, comes in with the gun, pulls a slide back, and he says, "All right, it's your last shot, last chance, only one more chance. Are you ready to deny Jesus? You know, are you ready to deny His gospel? What are you going to say to him?" I want you guys to contemplate that as we continue. Let's turn to Proverbs 29 again. We're going to hit several verses in a row, several scripture passages in a row. So I'm going to go pretty fast. Proverbs 29, verse 25 again. It says, The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Turn to Psalm 56. Psalm 56, start in verse 1. It says, Be gracious to me, O God, for man has trampled upon me, fighting all, fighting all day long he oppresses me. My foes have trampled upon me all day long, for they are many who fight proudly against me. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? Turn to Psalm 115. Psalm 115, we'll start in verse 1. It says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Because of your loving kindness, because of your truth, why should the nations say, Where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths but cannot speak. They have eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot. They have ears but cannot hear. They have noses but cannot smell. They have hands but they cannot feel. They have feet but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them. Everyone who trusts them. O Israel, trust the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You guys notice something that's uh, common throughout those ones? What I want to point out was trust. Now, I could, go, I could go a bunch of different ways with this, but this is the way I want to do it. I want to go with trust. We see that trust is the antidote to the fear of man. Your trust in the Lord 
It's inversely proportional to your fear of man. You guys remember how inversely proportional works. Your trust in the Lord is high, fear of man is low. Trust in the Lord is low, fear of man is high. I, uh, I recently just got into rock climbing. And the problem is when you start, it's pretty expensive. And so I needed some help. I, I know a guy who works at a sporting goods store, uh, Mr. Davis Ashley. Most of you probably know him. And um, he helped me out. He helped me get the stuff that I needed for a good price. And, and while, as he saw that I was getting into rock climbing, he saw that he wanted to, he wanted to share something with me. He wanted to share a movie called Free Soul. Now, I'm not much of a movie guy, but while I was coming to the South Carolina men's retreat, I downloaded it on my phone, watched it on the airplane, fell asleep a few times, but I eventually got through the whole movie, and it was a really good one. Now this movie, it's a documentary about a guy named Alex Honnold. He's a rock climber, but there's a unique thing about him. He likes to climb this special way called free solo. Now what free soloing is, is that you climb without anything to save you should you mess up. Meaning, no ropes, no harness, no, no parachute, not even a trampoline at the bottom, as much as that would help. <laughs> Nothing. No equipment. Now, it would be stupid for me to go up the rock climbing wall, the rope wall, in, the, in my climbing gym without any equipment. It's about 50 feet up. Because should I fall, at, at best I'm going to break a bunch of bones in my body. At worst, I'm going to die. Now, after last night, I'm not really, not really scared of death anymore, so I'll be fine. But you get the idea. I should not do this. Now, he did something way crazier, though. First, Alex Honnold, he climbed the, the side of a cliff called Moonlight Buttress, free solo. That's 950 feet up. He did that with no equipment, no ropes, no harness, no parachute, no trampoline, nothing. Second, he climbed half dome, which is 2,000 feet up, free solo, which is crazy. And if that wasn't enough, the movie is about him climbing something called El Cat, which was 3,200 feet up. And he did that with no equipment, should he have fallen, which is crazy to think about. Now, none of us should do that. Not one of us should do that. We wouldn't be very smart, because if, if we did fall, We'd be, we'd be goners. And we're not, you know, none of us in here are probably that great at climbing. Um, but Alex, Alex even admitted that it was scary to him. He's the one who did it. So how did Alex get up this, get up this cliffside, 3,200 feet up? How did he overcome that fear to be able to do it? Well, what's interesting in this documentary is that he shows us his notebook. And in his notebook, he writes down things just to remind him stuff before he hops up on the wall. And he flipped to a page and he said, guys, this is the most important note of all of them. And he flipped to it and he showed the camera and it said, trust your feet. And that word trust was circled and it was underlined, indicating its importance. Because he's got to have to trust his feet to get to hold them up so he can you know, reach the next hole. Because if he can't trust his feet, he's going to fall. So trust, trust, trust. We see that trust is so important in overcoming fear in general, but also the fear of man. But what even is trust these days? Well, it's the same thing it's always been. It's a reliance on integrity 
strength, ability, and surety of. It's, it's confidence in. But I think trust has just been so skewed by this generation that many don't understand it, so they abandon it. They don't properly understand it because their trust has been betrayed. They're, they relied on somebody's integrity, their strength, their surety, and they had confidence in them with all that they had, and that person, that individual, might have let them down. And sometimes that's all that somebody needs in order to give up trust. And when that happens, you know, it's really easy for that individual to say, well, the only one I can trust now is me, myself, and I. And when that happens, you hold back part of yourself, if not most of yourself, from every relationship around you. And that causes problems. That causes divisions. Think about marriage. You know, people nowadays are getting married without, or, sorry, they're doing the things that, uh, that married people do without being married. And that's a problem. That's not okay. Like having children and living together. This is a problem. Now, why do they do that? I think it's because they don't want to put their trust in somebody else. They don't want to be bound to somebody else. They want to do the things that they do without being bound. And so that they don't give all of themselves to that relationship. But here's the thing. The other person in that relationship, they can feel that. They can tell. And that creates tension and division. It never works when you hold back. And what about those who are getting married? Many, many of those end in divorce. You know, it just makes you, makes you think, why is that? You know, it makes you think back to the vows. Depending on the, depending on the situation, of course, did the individual or did both of them really mean it when they said, when they said, until death do us part, for better or for worse? You know, it just makes you think, you know, did they mean that, trusting that the other person meant that too? Now, the reason that I'm bringing this up is because marriage is how the Lord describes our relationship to him. Now, I want to show you how this trust relationship works in overcoming the fear of man. And I could go on all day about how the Lord is faithful, the Lord is trustworthy. I'll just list a few scriptures here. You guys don't have to follow along with me, I'll read it for you. It says in Deuteronomy 32, 4, it says that he is the rock. His works are perfect, and all of his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. In Joshua 21, 45, it says that not one of not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. In Psalm 33, 4, it says, For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all that he does. In, first, in 2 Thessalonians 3, 3, it says, But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. So there are so many great things, there are great promises that, the, that, we can, that we can count on because the Lord always follows through on those promises. He's proved himself again and again. So we know that we can rely on the integrity, the strength, the ability, and surety of the Lord. We can have confidence in him. Now I can show you how the Lord is faithful, the Lord's trustworthy, and then I can walk away and be done. Because that's really what we need to know in order to overcome the fear of man. We all know this academically, but... I want to be able to, I want to show you what our side of that relationship is. So knowing that, knowing that the Lord is trustworthy and faithful, what are we doing about that? What fruit are we bearing with that knowledge? Are we living like it? Are we putting full trust in Him? 
Because the armor of trust in the Lord is impenetrable. But it's not going to do you any good if you don't put it on before the battle. It's not like the Lord hasn't supplied it. You just got to put on what he has supplied. So let's talk about today what that looks like. I want to focus on our side of that relationship. What does our trust in him look like? Because if trust is how we overcome the fear of man, if this trust relationship with the Lord is how the Lord overcomes the fear of man and removes that snare in us, don't you think it's important that we know what our side of that relationship looks like? So, I think so. Let's talk about that today. It looks like having full assurance of faith to give it all and not hold back from our marriage relationship to trust him enough to entrust him with who you are. You guys have all heard, don't put all of your eggs in one basket, right? Now, this is, the idea behind it is don't put everything you have into one place. Because should that one thing fail, you've lost everything. So instead, put some into one place and scatter it abroad. So should one of them fail, you haven't quite lost everything. Now, in the physical realm of things, this is a great idea. Because things crash and things fail. But I see this too often happen and spill over into some Christians' lives, too. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll be putting some, they'll be bearing some fruit for the Lord, but then they'll be holding on to some provision for the flesh. And see, this, this, puts, this puts tension and strain on their relationship with the Lord. Because the Lord had made Christianity an all-in-based system. Let's turn to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, we're going to start in verse 5. It says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man what will man do to me? I think it's interesting. Notice how verses five and six, they're all one thought. There isn't any breaks in there. So what does having our character free from the love of money and what does that have to do with our relationship with the Lord and overcoming the fear of man to the point where we can say, What can mere man do to me? What do those things have to do with one another? Yeah, yeah. And the thing is what, what, what those have in common is that you first realize that the Lord is trustworthy and faithful. And once with that, once you realize that, you don't put your love or your trust in money, in things like money. Because here's the thing. Sooner or later, you're going you're gonna to have to face the forces of evil on a bigger level than we are now. And if you're, not, if you're not all in, and you're not confident in what you have, then you're not going to be able to stand on that evil day. We're going to have to personally confront the forces of evil, Satan working through evil men. And if you've divided your trust between earthly things, like, like money or another thing, another provision for the flesh, if you divided it between those and the Lord, 
then you're not going to stand. You're, you're going to lose. You're not going to be adequately equipped for what is coming. And you'll lose your personal part of the battle. You have to be all in. You guys have heard that you bring your old habits into Christianity with you. Well, yes, this is true. But I see this used way more as an excuse than I do a preparation. You know, it kind of loses its oomph after like 40 years. You know? You can't keep saying that. It's an excuse that keeps an individual relying on earthly things. Because here's the deal, guys. Life's a vapor. We don't have time to, to, to mess around like that. we got to get real now. we got to stop playing games. Because we don't know when we're going to have to personally confront the forces of evil on that kind of level. They're the ones that are trying to put the fear of man into us. And can you really say that you've put your trust in the Lord if you haven't put all of your eggs in the Christ basket? You know, if you've, if you've put some in the Christ basket and then scattered them abroad other places, can you really say that you've put your trust in him if that's the case? Because if that is the case, it's the same thing as saying, well, you know, should something go south, at least I won't have lost everything. Or should the Lord fail, at least I have an out. That's the, that would be the same thing if you don't put all of your eggs in the Christ basket. You might say, well, Josiah, if I'm ever in that position where I've got to choose, of course I'm going to choose the Lord. Why would I choose anything else? Well, you know, if your trust in the Lord is divided, how do you know that? You know, I see, I'm just going to bring up an example. I see families being destroyed all the time because of alcoholism. And if you went up to the guy who was addicted and you said, listen, man. It's destroying your family. And you said, you've got to choose either alcohol or your family. There can't be both. It's destroying your family. That guy's always going to say it's family. But a lot of times you'll see them still be drinking it and destroying their family right before their eyes. It's not something they want to do. It's just because they put their trust in it for so long that they can't let go. <clears throat> So I want to suggest that the same process happens with our relationship with the Lord. We need to replace earthly trust in, in earthly things with an all-in trust in the Lord, not leaving anything out. The Lord certainly helps us do this, but he requires our participation. Let me give you a passage that really helps us put into perspective. In 1 Peter. First Peter three. First Peter three, and we're going to start in verse thirteen. It says, "Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled." But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Notice how the scripture says to sanctify Christ in your heart. What does that mean? Sanctify means to set apart. So let's think about marriage here again. When, you get, when you're married to somebody... You're to set that individual apart on a different level of importance in your heart. 
Meaning if a priority of one area of your life is begging for you, but yet the person you married is also needing that, that you'll choose the person that you marry. Because you've set them on a different level of importance in your heart, a greater level. See, I'm gonna I'm gonna choose my wife and I'm gonna give all of myself to her. The only one who's on a higher level than her is the Lord. And that's not a problem. That's that's the beauty of an amazing Christian marriage in the Lord. It's a, with Christ, it's the same concept, but on a higher level. I need to trust the Lord and set him on a different level of importance in my heart. So that if man tries to tries to control me with fear and saying, choose this or the Lord, or choose that or the Lord, that every single time I would always choose the Lord, no matter what. That's where I need to be. Because if I'm in that, if I'm in that, in that situation, I gotta think, well, what do I have? What do I have to lose? Turn to Psalm 73 with me. Psalm 73. We're going to start verse 25. It says, Whom have I in heaven but you? Besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. See, once you've put your trust in the Lord, and I mean I mean all in trust in the Lord, you, you don't say, what do I have to lose because you don't have anything. You say, what have I to lose? Because no matter what they do, they cannot take it. No matter what they do or how much they want to, they can't take our abundance in the Lord, our inheritance. They're unable to touch it. However, if you have your trust in earthly things, You'll say, what have I to lose? Well, I have this, I have that, I have the other. I don't know if I can lose. And that's when the problem happens. Because if you put your trust in earthly things, because of those, because of those things, you know, those things, those things don't last. They're not valuable. And they give them, they give man leverage to put fear of man into you. And this is why what trust in the Lord can accomplish. Trust in the Lord allows you to overcome the fear of man. Not necessarily because trust eliminates the threat itself, but it eliminates the fear of the threat because of the hope that's on the other side. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? You know, he says that at the sound of, at the sound of all the instruments, you've got to bow down and worship this statue. And when the when the trump when the all the instruments sounded, they didn't do it. So they were brought before the king, and he said, "Did you guys not do that?" Okay, listen. If you guys are ready, and you get the idea, they better be ready. If you guys are ready, and at the sound of the instruments, you got to bow down, or else I'm going to cast you into the midst of the of the furnace. And you know you know what they said? They said no. They say our God is able to deliver us from this furnace. But even if he does not, let it be known to you that we will not 
We will not do it. And even if he does not, we're not choosing you. We're choosing the Lord. This is what trust in the Lord and his promises look like. There wasn't one thing holding these guys back. They put all of their trust and their hope in that which doesn't fail. And that's what brought them through. So they didn't have no reason to fear Nebuchadnezzar and his threats. They were trusting the Lord with everything. And trusting the Lord with everything is how the Lord overcomes the fear of man in you. The Lord changes the acronym of FEAR, F-E-A-R, forget everything and run, to FEAR, F-E-A-R, face everything and rise. And that's only done through the Lord. Otherwise, it's not possible. I really want you guys to think about and consider these things. Because we aren't having to experience it on this kind of level quite yet. But we're heading in that direction. So, when it, so it's time to prepare now. So that when it comes, when, when man comes to strike fear in, in you, you guys are ready. And you're, you aren't unarmored or are able to be attacked, open from every side. It's not going to be that way because we're ready. We're armored with the Lord and his promises. Think about David and Goliath. The Lord helped David to be able to kill both the lion and the bear. And that gave him the confidence to be able to go up to Goliath and take him out too. See, he wasn't equipped with the physical king's armor. He said, no, I don't want that. He was equipped with the almighty king's armor. Consider that. Consider these things. What about us? We've got to be prepared to take a stand for the Lord in the midst of all these things. In the midst of imprisonment, starvation, death. Even when man is trying to use fear to control you to do the wrong things. You won't stand if you haven't put 100% into the Lord. If you haven't given 100% of who you are to Him, making zero compromises. Are you convinced that He's able to guard what you've entrusted to Him until that day? Are you? Um, so you gotta, we gotta, what we got to do is we got to fight. We got to stand for the truth. We got to stand for the Lord. So that when you when you're in that cell all alone, you're not alone. Know that the Lord is with you. So that when that guy comes into that jail cell, opens the door, he got his gun, he pulls a slide back, and says, he says, "All right, it's your last shot. Are you ready to deny Jesus? Now you're ready to deny his gospel." So you can say, with all of your confidence, you need the courage and confidence and boldness to be able to say, no, whom have I in heaven but him? And besides him, I desire nothing on earth. And I'm not ashamed of his gospel, for it is the power of God for everyone who believes. And he's going to say that it's time to meet your maker. And your all in trust should enable you to say, the nearness of God is my good. My God is able to deliver me from your hand, but even if he does not, let it be known to you, O oh man, that I'm not going to give in to your fear. Because what can man do to me? So for the non-Christian, it's time to get real and be honest. Because you can't have that victory apart from the Lord. You can't overcome the fear of man without the Lord. So it's time to sit down with a mature Christian man in Christ and figure this out. And for the Christian, it was time to stop playing games a while ago, but now is really the time to stop playing games. 
You know, it's time to stop playing and get real and be honest. I'm here to tell you to put to, to trust in the Lord. To trust in the Lord with all of your heart. All of it. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. That doesn't mean just a few. That doesn't mean most. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will make your path straight. And this is done through trust. So even in the midst of man trying to put fear into you, even when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, that you will fear no evil. Why? Because he's with you. And all of us is with him, entrusted to the faithful creator. Let's pray. Dear Lord, God, our rock and our salvation, our shield, our fortress, Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us. Particularly right now, we thank you for, for giving us the ability to overcome the fear of man through you, through trust in you, Lord. We pray that you help us to, to realize what, you, what you've done for us. Realize that, that you are faithful, you are trustworthy. And with that knowledge, Lord, help us to just give you everything, to not leave anything out so that, so that man doesn't have any leverage to be able to, to put fear into our hearts. Lord, we thank you for this family camp, and we pray that as we continue to go, it will be encouraged and we'll understand fear better. I praise things in your great holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.